the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. There was a man that I knew that had some weight to lose, and so uh, he uh, picked a diet, an exercise routine, and, and I stuck to it strictly, diligently. He even started taking a new route to work in the morning uh, so that he would not drive past his favorite bakery. And he asked many of his friends to, uh, and his co-workers to keep him accountable. And it was going great. So for one day uh, in the morning, maybe he got in a fight with his wife or something, but he just got distracted, and without thinking about it, he took the old route to work. And he drove past that bakery, and he saw in the window these coffee cakes. And so he came into work carrying half of a great big coffee cake and crumbs all over his face, and his co-workers started calling him out, and he said, no, no, I, I, can, I can explain. He said, you see, I, I, I accidentally drove past my favorite bakery, and I saw all these delicious coffee cakes in the window, so I, y'all, I prayed. I prayed to God, and I said, God, if you really want me to have one of these delicious coffee cakes, then have an open parking spot right in front of the bakery. He said, y'all, sure enough, on that eighth trip around the block, it was. <laughs> it's a story about temptation. Our gospel passage is also a story about temptation. In fact, it's one of those famous highlight reel stories that if you're going to tell the story of Jesus, you can't leave this one out. This is, of course, before Jesus really begins his ministry. He has just been baptized. The Holy Spirit has come upon him like a dove. The voice of the Father has boomed over him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. Now, a couple of years ago when we were on pilgrimage, uh, to Israel, we, we saw from a distance where Jesus went. Uh, it is a cave high up on the side of a cliff. And the whole area, it's just north of Jericho, not far from where he was baptized, the whole area is brown and arid and lifeless. And it was there that he spent 40 days, which you may have noticed is the pattern and the prototype uh, for our season of Lent. It was there that he fasted and prayed in preparation for his earthly ministry that would culminate in the cross and the resurrection and the salvation of the world. And it was there in that wilderness cave that he was tempted by the devil now, I'm not sure what images or thoughts you have around the concept or the reality of temptation. I'm not sure what tempts you. In my experience, most of our talk around temptation has very little moral component to it anymore. We might talk about like desserts tempt us. Or we're tempted to buy something, but we thought better of it, something like that. If we do think of temptation... In a moral sense, we think, 
we tend to think of big things, you know, the things that we might qualify as big things like sex or drugs or excessive alcohol. We might think of someone who really wants to be sober uh, but gives in once again to temptation. And in this sense, we think of temptation as this sort of lure, you know, that we're like we're working against that coffee cake tractor beam uh, that is slowly just pulling us in. And I think temptation might work like that sometimes, but we all, what we often don't take the time to realize is that we're, we're being tempted all the time. Like all the time. You know, you have that flash of anger, and you just start yelling. We, we see the cookies, we just start eating. We see the couch, we just start binge-watching. see a friend, we just start gossiping. We see something pop up on YouTube that we know we not good for us, but we just start watching. All of that is temptation, and yet we put up little, if any, fight, right? We don't even take the time. It's not a tractor beam. It's impulse. It's a flinch. We got a belly full of cookies before we know what's happened, right? The, di- the dictionary definition of temptation is the desire to do something that is wrong or unwise. And so the Christian definition would add to that the desire to do something that is ungodly or against the will of God. And in my experience, that is much more like impulse than tractor beam. And my guess is that, that it was like that for Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus understands the seriousness of the calling that lies before him. And he has been doing, in this cave on the cliff, he's been doing the hard work of preparation, praying, fasting, in a place that had no distractions. He hadn't had any food in over a month, and Luke tells us, understandably, he's famished. And he's ready to eat because the days have come to an end. He's probably, you would think, very physically weak at this point. And it is in that moment of weakness that the devil comes to him. And that's always the way, isn't it? I mean, no one's ever heard of being tempted in a moment of strength. The devil knows what he's doing. Now here's a question for you. What is the first temptation that Jesus is facing? What's what's the temptation? Is it bread? I mean, would there be anything wrong with Jesus eating bread after 40 days of eating nothing? I don't think so. The temptation is for Jesus to use his divine power To serve himself. I mean, can you think of a single instance in any passage of the Gospels that you ever read where Jesus' power was used to benefit Jesus? None. Jesus said he came to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve. The temptation. It's for Jesus to use his divine power to serve himself. And in the moment of desperate 
hunger, that temptation was very real. And in fact, I mean, if you think about it, if Jesus wasn't actually and truly tempted by all these things, I don't think there's much reason to tell the story. It doesn't seem that there was this sort of tractor beam pulling him in, luring him, a battle of, oh, shouldn't I, or should, you know, should I, or shouldn't I. There's, there must have been, though, this impulse, this flinch, a fleeting consideration. Who would ever know? And all of salvation history hung in the balance as the devil waited for an answer. If Jesus had said, you know what? I'm the son of God. And I've got every right. I'm hungry. I'm going to make bread. And no one's going to blame me for that. He would have disqualified himself from being a perfect sacrifice on the cross. Because he would have used his power... To serve himself. It's not a sin to be tempted. But to give in to the temptation. And so for Jesus, what made the difference? How did he overcome the impulse? It was the love that he shared with the Father. The love that he shared with the Father. Even in a moment of starvation, he loved the Father more than he loved himself. More than he wanted bread, which he surely did. He wanted to please his Father and to trust his Father to provide. Whatever the temptations we face, whether or not we give in, is an indicator of what our heart loves the most. Whether or not we give in to temptation is an indicator of what our heart loves the most. Do we love ourselves and our own appetites, or do do we love the Father who has called us to holiness? That is a great question to ponder during Lent. Well, Jesus stays strong with the bread, but then he's shown this vision, a vision of all the nations of the world, and the the devil offers him all the glory and authority that would come with that. If the first temptation meets Jesus in a moment of physical weakness, the second meets Jesus as a sort of political opportunity. And it's complex because all glory and authority rightly belongs to Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. In fact, You remember after the resurrection, just before the ascension, Jesus tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It was his anyway, so what was the temptation? I think the temptation must have been to avoid the cross. To avoid the suffering that had to come before he would take such authority. Did Jesus have a flicker of very human wonder, wouldn't it just be easier for everyone if I went ahead and took it? I mean, think of all the good I could do. There was going to be a price. And it was a price that the devil just tried to kind of dismiss, tried to play off as very small. Just just worship me. 
It seemed small, but it wasn't. It seemed easy. It seemed even kind, but it wasn't. And it would have literally cost Jesus and all of us everything. And again, all of salvation hung on Jesus' answer to that question. And again, the love between Jesus and the Father prevailed. It is written, said Jesus, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And Jesus uses the Scripture not to serve Himself, but to protect Himself against the power-hungry temptation of the devil. Now finally, the third one, it doesn't really seem like on the surface much of a temptation, does it? Hey, this is tempting. Throw yourself off this building. That doesn't seem like much of a temptation. But where the first temptation was physical and the second was political, the final temptation is spiritual. And I really think it could have been the most difficult temptation of the three for Jesus. The first two temptations were overcome by the love that was shared between Jesus and the Father. It was the love that was ratified and verified in Scripture. And so for the third temptation, the devil uses Scripture too to come at and test the love between Jesus and the Father. The temptation is not for Jesus to throw himself off the temple. The temptation is to prove the Father loves him by saving him from the fall. Heck, says the devil, it says it right there in Psalm 91. He's going to save you. You won't worship me because he loves you so much. Prove it. Let's see. And you can just imagine the impulse flaring up in Jesus that felt thoroughly like righteous indignation, a flinch in his spirit that said, I'll show you how strong our love is. I'll show you how true our scripture is. Jesus doesn't need to prove it. Not here. Not to the devil. Because the love of God, the Father, for God the Son, would be proven in the resurrection. It will be proven when Jesus throws himself not down to the ground from the temple, but down into hell from the cross. And the Father will catch him and will raise him up. And Jesus will be the bread of life and all authority in heaven and on earth will be given to him. And the devil will be defeated, not just until an opportune time, but forever. And what happens when we find ourselves in our own proverbial coffee cake tractor beams? Or what happens when we have impulsive flashes of anger or laziness or greed or gossip what happens is an important question and Jesus does offer a shining example his intimate familiarity and uh, familiarity with and trust in scripture and the love of the father that he's been cultivating in prayer point us to those same disciplines to overcome temptation. But, but, Jesus' success 
in overcoming these temptations is not simply a model for us overcoming our own temptations. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. His success covers our failure. His success covers our failures. Whether we use our time unwisely or unproductively. Whether we treat every weekend like it's college spring break. Whether we use our power to serve ourselves. Whether we worship the almighty dollar rather than almighty God. Whatever it is. It is the victory of Jesus that qualifies him to be our savior. It is the sinlessness of Jesus that covers our sin with no no exceptions. The perfection of his life covers our imperfect lives. The perfection of his love for the Father is given to us. The victory of Jesus in the wilderness is not there simply to give us strength in the face of coffee cake, whatever that is for you. The victory of Jesus in the wilderness gives us eternal hope and the honest facing of our own temptations and failures. Amen.